I want to tell you, I, I shared this with you, I believe, last year when I first shared this burden with you. But, you know, I went over there. We went over there in, in August and for the part of the International Missionary Retreat. And, and you know, it was great seeing the country. I loved it. It's just awesome being there. Uh, some places stick out more than others, obviously. And those places stick out is where the Catholic Church doesn't have a church. That's, that's what I really enjoyed. But, uh, but I remember walking through Jerusalem going to the old city, and this was right after the ceasefire with Hamas last summer. And so there were hardly any tour groups over there. They'd all been canceled, so we were pretty much just about the only. We only saw one other tour group there, and so we got in and out of all these different places. Uh, but we were walking through Jerusalem, and I saw these armed guards everywhere. And I thought, well, it's because they just finished a little skirmish with Hamas, a war, and so that's why they're there. Well, now I find out that you know there's armed guards everywhere all the time because it has to be like that. But what dawned on me, I was walking through there, and I noticed that, you know, that, that, that they were just going about their life. They were laughing. The kids were playing, running around. They were working, doing all these things here, just going about their everyday life. And the thought occurred to me that they don't have a clue what's coming their way. They don't have a clue. Because regardless of what you may think of Israel, the first time it comes to your mind, it is a very secular nation. There's a lot of atheism in Israel. Some, most don't know it, but Tel Aviv, Israel, is considered the homosexual capital of the world. And they have gay pride parades in Tel Aviv, and they have gay, gay pride parades in downtown Jerusalem. And so uh, we think that they're, this, they're all versed in the Old Testament, and you know, they all can quote the Old Testament. Most of them, vast majority, don't. And it occurred to me that they don't know what's coming their way. And I thought about the scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 3, where Paul says, When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as a woman in travail. And so they, you know, they think that they're safe. They think that they're okay. But Paul says, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Now, what is Paul referring to when he says that? What is that talking about? Well, Israel... And what is so important about Israel? Why do we care about Israel? Why, why is it so important in the news? And, you know, what does the Bible have to say? Why Israel? Well, we know that God called Abraham, and through Abraham come the, uh, Isaac, and then Jacob, the twelve sons of Jacob, came the twelve tribes of Jacob, and the, the, 12, the twelve sons, they went into Egypt, and they were there four or five hundred years, and they came out of Egypt, they were a nation, and they went into the wilderness for forty years. God was preparing them to inherit the land, and so they inherited the land. And so we have the Bible, the rest of the Old Testament, talking about Israel in the Holy Land, uh, in the land there, possessing the land, uh, disobeying God, being carried off into captivity, coming back there. And then in 1948, lo and behold, Israel becomes a nation once again. Uh, what is so important about Israel? Well, the reason, one reason that Israel is so important is not, be, not only because through Israel came Jesus Christ, but they had a purpose. God called Israel for a purpose. God chose the nation of Israel for a purpose. And we find just one example of this purpose in Isaiah chapter uh, 42. Did I give you Exodus? What did I give you? Wake up back there. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 6. Isaiah 42 and verse 6. God says, for, He says, I the Lord have called thee. Isaiah 42, 6. I hear pages turning. Let me, let me slow down. I'm trying to be through in time. Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 6. Uh, as you're turning place there in Exodus, he says, that, you know, if you'll follow me, keep my commandments, 
He says, I'll bless you. You are a chosen generation. I'll make you a kingdom of priests. But here in Isaiah 42 and verse 6, he says, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thy hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. He's turned over to Isaiah 49 and verse 6. God kind of reaffirms this again. He says, uh, Isaiah 49 to verse 6, And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to restore and preserve uh, the, the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be as my salvation unto the end of the earth. God chose Israel. The, per- the reason for Israel's existence is that Israel was to be a light to the world displaying the glories of God. They were to be a light to the world, uh, telling the world who Jehovah was, that He was the Savior. And they were to prepare for the coming Messiah that God promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That was the reason for their existence. That's why God chose Israel. Not that they were special. There's anything special about the Jews. But God chose them with a special message. And they were to be a light to the world. And they were to prepare the world for the coming Messiah. But what happened? During the course of their history, they began to look inwardly. They began to think more highly of themselves. And he thought, you know, you know, instead of them thinking, remembering that they needed God, their attitude was that God needed them because they were the people. We're God's chosen people. Therefore, we can do anything we want because we're God's chosen people. And that was pretty much the attitude that Israel had in the Old Testament. They had this all the way up. And then we go to John chapter 1. It says, when the light came, the light of the world, Jesus Christ, the Bible says in John 1, 11, that He came unto His own. Who were His own? The Jews. And what happened? He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. And so all from the time of Abraham, all the way through the thousands of years that make up the Old Testament, they were to be prepared that when Jesus came on the scene, they were to to recognize Him as their Messiah, as their King, and, and proclaim Him to the world. But when Jesus came, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. And it was at that time that God took the responsibility, and not only responsibility, but the privilege of being a light to the world. He took it from the Jews, and He gave it to us as members of the New Testament church. And so now we, as members of the New Testament church, we had the responsibility to be a light to the world. That's why we have the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world. And do what? Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our responsibility. That is our privilege. We are, that is what, you know, and you read over in Revelation about this, the candlesticks and God walking, Christ walking there. And Christ can also remove the candlesticks. And church, I submit unto you that the moment you stop doing evangelism, you cease to exist as a church. The moment you stop trying to preach the gospel, trying to find every way scriptural to, to draw people in and, and share the gospel with them, you're, you're nothing more than, than, than the elk club or the moose club or whatever club you want to talk about. You're doing no good at all. God can listen. God, don't think you're special. You have a special message. That's what makes you special. And the moment we stop spreading the gospel, the moment we stop supporting missions. The moment we stop trying to be a light to the world, God can very easily remove that candlestick. And we can be just like every other Tom, Dick, and Harry religion out there 
that's just out there to make themselves feel good. Do you understand the responsibility? That's the responsibility and the privilege that we have. That's why you send out missionaries. That's why you have Awana. That's why you have Upper. That's why you do all these. Well, it costs a lot of money. We got to. Well, so what? God's got plenty of money. Problem is, He gives it to us to be stewards, and we forget about who it actually belongs to. So that is our responsibility. So God took that responsibility from the Jews and He gave it to the church. But God's not through with the Jews just yet. You see, the callings of God are without repentance. Paul Paul tells us in Romans chapter 11, God made a promise that Israel would be His people. God made a promise that they would always exist. They are still God's chosen people. And this is what I thought about last year and have thought about it ever since. Because in the very near future, things are going to begin to happen. He says, remember what we read in 1 Thessalonians 5.3? Sudden destruction cometh upon them. I think what Paul's referring to is the time when the Antichrist army comes into the land of Israel. I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 11. Now, I'm not a prophecy expert. That's, uh, that's Michael and Trey's job. Uh, they're the prophecy experts around here. But, but I want to share, you what, share with you some things in God's Word. Daniel, where we go? Daniel chapter 11. Good, I don't have to turn there. Good. All right. Daniel chapter 11, verse 4. This is just a snapshot. What we find here in Daniel, we read about it in Ezekiel and, and other scriptures as well in the Old Testament. But it says, at the time of the end, time of the end. And by the way, we're a lot closer to the end than we are the beginning. So keep that in mind. Shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. So Daniel 11.40 tells us that in the end times that the king of the south will push at him, Israel, and the king of the north shall come against him. Now, do you have that other map, that last map on that? All right, he's getting there. All right, so I want you to understand this army that's coming up here. That's what he's talking about. And this is the Antichrist army. This is the army that we read about during the tribulation period. And just give you... Uh, just a snapshot of what's going on there. This army comes up here. And I want to, as he's getting this ready, I want to tell you something. The Muslims hate Israel. Do you understand what I'm saying? They hate Israel. Iran hates Israel. Jordan hates Israel. Egypt hates, they hate Israel. And nothing would make them happier than the destruction of the state of Israel. They refuse to recognize the existence of Israel. Isn't that the biggest thing? How many of y'all have ever been out of the country to a different country? All right, when you go to a different country, you go to immigration and give your passport. What's the first thing they do with your passport? They stamp it, right? That is a, they stamp it so that way it is a testimony that you are in the country legally. Okay, you're there legally. So if you get pulled over by the police and they want to check your papers, you know that, you know, they know that you're not part of that country. They look at your passport. And they know that you're there legally. You've gone through, you, you have followed the rules and, and, and what have you. When you go to Israel, they don't stamp your passport, do they? They give you a little piece of paper, make a copy of it, give you a piece of paper. And the reason why is, if I'm in Israel and I want to say I want to go over to Jordan and go down and see Petra or some of the other places in, in, in the Jordan and the country of Jordan mentioned in the Bible, if I give them a passport that's been stamped by Israel, they will say, they can say, this is a false passport. What do you mean? 
Well, it's been stamped by the state of Israel. The state of Israel does not exist. And you say, wait, there it is right there. See the flag, the Star of David flag? See those IDF soldiers right there? They refuse to recognize. And so they can take our passports or be put you in jail for, for in, their, in, you know, in their logic, for possessing a false passport. They refuse to recognize the existence of Israel. Palestinian children are taught in grade school to kill the Jews. They hate Israel. And there will never be peace in the Middle East, by the way, until the Lord returns. They can sign all the peace treaties they want. Now, I don't want Iran to have nuclear weapons, but I'm just telling you. All right, but here Daniel 11 tells us that the king will come up from the south, but also come in from the north. You read Ezekiel like Gog and Magog, all those places there, that's what they're talking about. There is a war coming, and it's a two-front war, and there... The reason that this war is coming is because the Antichrist wants to destroy Israel once and for all. Once and for all. Now, we read that in Daniel. Zechariah chapter 13 tells us, gives us a little more detail. Turn to Zechariah 13. And by the way, Zechariah, if you go to Matthew, go back to Malachi. Next book back is Zechariah. It's not one of those little bitty books that's hard to find that you have to go to the front of your Bible to the index to find out where it is. Zechariah chapter 13. Here's Zechariah chapter 13. Zechariah, God tells Zechariah what's going to happen. It says that it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die. Two parts therein shall be cut off and die. Now we're going to stop right there. And so we take this and, and, and compare scriptures, we're talking about this great war that's coming. When this army comes into the land, two-thirds of Israel, of the Jews, will be what? Cut off and die. Now, I showed you a slide a while ago. The population of Israel was over 8 million people. If two-thirds of Israel were to die today, that means over 5 million Jews will be killed within a matter of days, weeks, from this great, massive army that we'll look at in Revelation here in a few moments that comes into the land. Two-thirds, over 5 million Jews, not including the Palestinians that might get caught up in that, not including all the, the Gentiles, uh, that is, non-Jews living there in the land, not including all those caught up in that collateral damage, but we know for sure that at least over 5 million Jews will be killed. And folks, we can deny that all we want, but that's what the Bible says. That's not my interpretation. It's two parts shall be, uh, therein shall be cut off and die. That's why Paul said when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them because it is this war that is coming. And we read about this war in Revelation chapter 12. We have Zechariah's vision of the future, but we have John's vision of it as well in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 13. Let's notice what John says. In Revelation, by the way, Revelation's last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 13. Notice he says that when the dragon, that's Satan, saw that he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman, that's Israel, which brought forth the man-child, that's Jesus. All right, so the Antichrist wants to destroy... By the way, the Antichrist knows that he can't... Satan knows that he cannot destroy God. So he destroys, he seeks to destroy that which God loves. The Jews, you and I. Satan knows he can't get to God. But if he can tear us up, it's the next best thing. Well, as dragon comes into the next verse, please. And, and, and to the woman, Israel, were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness and to her place. Now, I don't know what that means. I'm sure it's military equipment. I mean, military 
escape. Oh, I, I, you know, I, I don't, we'll, when, when it happens, we'll know what it is. But they go into the wilderness to escape. And by the way, I believe that wilderness is Beersheba, that area there, because they got a huge military base there. Anyway, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. Time, time, half times, that's three and a half years tribulation period. And the serpent was cast, and the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman. Now, this is not like Noah's flood, but it's a flood. It's, it's such a massive army that comes into the land. This massive army, it's like a, it's, it's like a flood. You ever, uh, I use the example all the time, you ever look at anything like you history buffs, D-Day, when they, when, when they landed in Normandy, all the, the hundreds of, of ships that landed on that beach, all the, the hundreds of thousands of army and marine and navy guys that landed on that beach, and not only and the paratroopers that came in, it was like just like a, just picture a tsunami or a flood coming in. This is what this army is, this great army. It comes in after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away with the flood to be destroyed with the flood. And so that's, that's, his, that's his desire. What's the next verse, please? And the earth... Well, let's stop right there. Let's back up. All right, so this, this army is coming into Israel, and two-thirds shall be cut off and die. Now, why does God allow this? Blair asked me several months ago. She said, why does God allow so many... Why does He allow over five million, over five million Jews to be killed? Well, the short answer is, I don't know. But I know this. When God sends judgment and chastisement, it's always just the right amount, isn't it? I mean, aren't you glad that God is... God, <laughs> that He doesn't... He, he, you know, there's, there's no overkill with God, is it? You know, we as parents, uh, you know, we let... And sometimes our kids mess up, you know, and we'll say, you know, stop that, don't do any more. We kind of let it slide. And then the next time they do it, we threaten to, to kill them, don't we? I mean, it, you know, it's not that we're not very consistent in what we do, uh, but God is. And God allows this to happen. Why? Because Israel rejected the Messiah. Israel, they forfeited the, the, the calling that God gave them, and God is sending this judgment upon the nation of Israel. But in the midst of all of this, God's love shines through. Because if you go back to Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 9, it says two-thirds shall be cut off and die, but what? Uh, and, but, but, but a third part shall... Uh, if you go back to verse, nine, verse 8, it says the third part survives. And he says, I will bring the third... Verse 9 says, I will bring the third part through the fire. That's the tribulation period. And will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried, and they shall call on my name... And I will hear them. I will say, "It is my people." And thou shall say, "They shall say, the Lord is my God." So this one third that survives, that is brought through the fire, refined as silver, and tried as and, and tried and, and like gold or tried. At the very end, they will recognize and call upon God. Now, John the Revelator has has his vision of this. If you go back to Revelation chapter twelve. Uh, go back to Revelation chapter 12 and verse uh, verse 17. He says, And the dragon was wroth, that means he was really mad, with the woman Israel, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. The remnant is the one-third, as Zechariah talks about, that survives this war, and which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That sounds like safe people to me. Is that not what we, as members of the local New Testament church, try to do? Do we not try to keep the commandments of God? We ought to. 
Not, because, not, not in order that we might be saved or find favor with God, but we want to live a life that's pleasing to God. So we try to keep the commandments of God. But also we have the testimony of Jesus Christ. How many times, I promise you, whenever... Y'all have testimony service here? All right, I promise you, whenever you have testimony service, I, I, without... I bet, I'm not going to bet you because I don't have any money. But I, I, I almost guarantee you that when someone stands up to give their testimony, the first thing they say is, I want to thank the Lord for saving my soul. That's the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so at the very end, when two-thirds of Israel is destroyed, and this one-third is chased into the wilderness, and the Bible says, if you go back there, uh, the Bible says that the earth helped the woman. Uh, you know, if it was not for the God, and the, the earth opened up and swallowed the flood, and that's why the dragon was wroth, because he went to destroy the woman, and he almost had them, but the earth... Earthquake, whatever it was, God's in control of the earth, so I'm not worried about that. Uh, that's why he's wroth. But God allows this one-third to survive. And the, at the end, at the very end, this one-third, they're caught up down in the wilderness. They have their backs against the wall. And it is then that they finally recognize that Yeshua, Jesus Christ, is the promised Messiah. And God allows all that to happen for that reason and that reason alone. You say, why does God allow five men to die? Because that's what it takes. That's what it takes. How many of you were saved the very first time you heard the gospel? I wasn't. Some people are, and thank the Lord. But I wasn't. But I can look back in my life, and I can see where God worked in my life, bringing people into my life, making me come face-to-face with the gospel message. And finally, there came a time in 1983 when I realized for the very first time that Christ didn't die for the whole world He died for me, and I trusted Him as a Savior. And so God allows this to happen because He knows that that's what it takes. Listen, God is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish. But He does what He has to do because He wants to give Israel one more chance to be saved. Now, you say there's only a couple million people. That doesn't make. How can that be the nation of Israel? It's the nation of Israel. Because Paul tells us in Romans chapter 11 that they're blinded. At the end of the age of the Gentiles, the church age, that blindness will be lifted and they will finally see. And I believe these, this third is saved. I believe they're saved as a result of the preaching of the 144,000. I believe that they are saved as a result of the preaching of the two witnesses. And I hope that they reach this decision because of God called church sent missionaries who live in the country and share the testimony of Jesus Christ. Folks, you cannot be saved until you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what happens to Israel. God allows this. See, and all this destruction. Now we can talk about Revelation and talk about this and pick at the death and all this stuff here. And we can read all these books and see all these movies. I don't listen. We don't know. I don't. We don't know what it's going to be like until it happens. But we do know in Zechariah that two thirds of Israel will be killed. But finally, at the end, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, will recognize Yeshua, Christ, as their Messiah. See, right now the Jew will tell you that there's no way Jesus is the Messiah. He cannot be the Messiah. They refuse to be. They're blinded. They're blinded. But I give you this. I'll promise you this. The spiritual blindness that envelops Israel is no match for the light that is Jesus Christ. And that's why we go to Israel. God keeps His promises. 
If someone ever asks you how they know God, how, do you, how can you know that God exists? You point them to Israel. I have a T-shirt that says solid. It's got a Star of David T-shirt, a flag there, and it says solid proof that God exists. There's no reason at all that the nation of Israel should exist. But there they sit on the seashore of the Mediterranean Sea because of the promise that God gave Abraham thousands of years ago. Where are all the other countries, the kingdoms that try to destroy Israel? Where's the Babylonians? They dig in the ground and find remnants of them. Where's the, the Persian kings? They're gone. Where's the mighty Roman Empire? They're gone. Where's Hitler? He's gone. But there sits Israel. Why? Because God made a promise thousands of years ago that Israel would exist. And they are His people. Why does God love Israel? How does God view Israel? One more scripture in Zechariah 2 and verse 8. And this is one you ought to underline in your Bible. I love this scripture. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath He sent me into the nations which spoiled you. For he that toucheth you, talking about Israel, toucheth the apple of his eye. Israel is the apple of God's eye. What does that mean? Well, think of us as parents. We love our children. We love our children when no one else will love our children. When they are just going crazy and driving you crazy and tearing everything up, we love our children. When they hurt, we hurt. Here I am, 46 years old, I guess, and I found out I had cancer, and my mom and dad still tell, if there's any way they could take it, they would. The apple of their eye. And you think that those of you who are grandparents, those grandkids can do no wrong in your eye, can they? Don't deny it. I've seen how some of you act around some of your grandkids. <laughs> I know how they are. I know how you are. My kids got away with way, way more of a Joel and Margaret Dillon than I ever got away with. You know, for years it was like, you come see us this weekend? You go, or, or, I was just the guy that brought the grandkids. That's all I was. I was just the guy that drove the vehicle. You know, that's all I am. That's how God views us. And by the way, that's how God loves you just as much. The Bible says that those of us who are saved, we've been accepted in the Beloved. God says we love Him because He first loved us. And God made a promise to Israel, and God's made a promise to you that He will never leave you nor forsake you. And God has had every right through the years to wash His hands at Israel and walk away. But He didn't because He made a promise, and He loved them. And even though He allows all this to happen, He does it to give Israel one more chance to be saved. I want you to know that God loves you. And He's giving you one more chance tonight to get right with Him. God loves you. Because He allowed you to be here tonight to give you one more chance to respond to His Word. Why? Because He loves you. And God is not willing that any should perish. And if you're lost, I want you to know that Christ loves you he loves you so much, He died on the cross for your sins. If you ask forgiveness of your sins and believe He died for your sins, He will save you just as quick as that. And you will be eternally saved. You say, How? it can't be that easy. No, it's not. But Jesus did the hard part. So it could be that easy for us. And perhaps you are saved, but you've gotten away from God. You've allowed, if you talk about BTC, other things come between you and God. You're not as close to God as you used to be. 
you, uh, you take your eye off the ball. You forget why God saved you. By the way, you know why God saved you and kept you here? You know, God saved you because you asked forgiveness of your sins. You know why God kept you here? To be a light, to be a witness for Him. And too often we forget why we're here. It's not to keep the preacher in line. It's not to keep all this. All the, you know, we get so caught up in programs that we forget God. The reason we're here on earth is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And God's given you one more chance to get right today. His desire, He desires for you to trust and follow Him today. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the Jews. Pray for the Muslims. I was thinking about this the other day. And I'll say this, and I'm not super spiritual or anything like that. But I was thinking about, I think I'd heard someone speak. I was at Mississippi State Association. Someone had preached about, and they were talking about, and made mention to the return of the Lord. Even so, Lord, come quickly. And, you know, and when we hear that, say that, everybody's like, Amen. Well, we're ready for that. You know, and listen, when the Lord returns... It's all going to be, I mean, the gravy train, the biscuit wheels. It's going to be a great, great time. But the thought occurred to me, there's so many people that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And each day, each moment he doesn't return, is another opportunity we have to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's not waste that opportunity. There is no plan B to heaven. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone. And let us proclaim the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for everything, church. God bless you. Brother Michael.